Given the anonymity it provides, the internet is the ideal environment for malicious individuals to conduct business without repercussions or fear of being identified. In light of this, the internet has given birth to dark online activity that wouldn't have been possible in the days before its existence, and thus has become an extension of the dark side of human psychology. To explore this realm further, along with the psychological motivation of these individuals, we are joined by Dr. Michael Nucitelli, an NYS licensed psychologist, cyber psychology expert, and internet safety educator. He is also the founder of iPredator Inc., which offers the private and public sectors free education and advisory services regarding internet predators, cybercrime, and cybercriminal psychology. With his career in psychology spanning back to the mid-90s, Michael spent many years working as a forensic psychologist fascinated by the dark side of human consciousness. In 2009, he published his concept of iPredator, which aims to understand the psychology of online criminals and psychopaths, and analyzes the methods they use to carry out their crimes and actions. In this episode, you will learn about the psychology that underpins psychopathy, how online psychopaths operate, and how they are distinct from your average psychopath that exists without the internet. We also discuss soft determinism and hard determinism when analyzing personality traits, and how early childhood experiences influence and potentially dictate the people we become. Now, if you like this episode, some other past Brain Spike back episodes you'll enjoy are True Crime Stories from the World of Crypto Hacks and Ransomware, Brain Plasticity, How Technology, Environments, and Language Change Our Brains, and The Psychology of Conspiracy Theory Beliefs. Now, the last and most important message I want to leave you with before we get started with today's interview is that if you like this show, then please let us know by leaving us a positive review on iTunes. You really are making a difference when you leave those, so please take a moment to do so. Now, that's everything, so here we have it. Enjoy. My name's Sam Breakgear, and you're listening to Brain Spike Back, your podcast exploring the intersection between psychology and technology. Good afternoon, and thank you for having me on. My name is Dr. Michael Lucitelli. I have a doctorate degree in clinical psychology, and I have been in practice. I got my doctorate degree back in the mid-90s, and ever since the mid-90s, I have worked in behavioral health care. And around 2008-2009, um, prior to writing the iPredator concept, I was a forensic psychologist, um, I've always been fascinated with what I call the dark side of human consciousness. And it wasn't until 2008, 2009 that I realized that if I were a psychopath, if I was a deviant, a pedophile, a criminal, well, where better to go where I can hide my identity and I can engage in nefarious malevolent activities, cyberspace. And that is when the proverbial light bulb went out off. And in 2009, I began to jot down my concept, I Predator. And then I finally published it uh, in late 2009, 2010. Fantastic. Well, I'm super happy to have you on here because oh, thank you. <laughs> on this show, uh, we obviously explore psychology and technology, <clears throat> and uh, your background makes you a perfect fit for that. And I, I'd love to hear a little bit more about what you're going to be talking a lot about today and that is okay. iPredator. So what is the concept of iPredator? 
Okay, so essentially iPredator is, we can either say it's an information age, dark side of human, um, human consciousness concept, or much easier, the shorter is a dark side of cyberspace concept. So essentially iPredator introduces both the psychology of the aggressor, the online aggressor, and then how the, the, the pedophile, the criminal, the stalker uses technology, information communication technology to molest, steal from, taunt, slander other online users. So essentially iPredator presents eight different types of online aggressors. Uh, would you like to hear them quickly or would you like- Yeah, to yeah, them? please share them. Okay, so of the eight, hopefully I can, I should remember them. I've written this 10 years ago. Uh, the pediatric uh, manifestation of eye predator is cyberbullying. So cyberbullying applies to children. The adult form of cyberbullying would be cyber harassers, internet trolls, and cyber stalkers, which are the worst of the adult uh, online attackers. Then we have cyber terrorists, uh, then we also have cyber terrorism, online child predators, and then the most depraved to me is the online child pornography distributor and consumers. So those are the eight types of online aggressors who essentially use information technology, social media, to, as I said, to taunt, uh, steal, molest other online users. Yeah, you know, in this show, we like to try and keep a balance of like looking at technology in a positive way and also in the negative ways. But there's absolutely no doubt that the Internet has provided those with, um, I suppose, nefarious or malicious intent, the, the tools and ability to get away with a lot more and go a lot further. So I think like having your analysis and your your understanding on this show is really going to help us like uh, explore that now. One of the most interesting aspects of your website for me was the section on online psychopaths. psychopaths. Right. Um, can you tell us a little bit about online psychopaths? If we can start off talking about just the psychopath. I mean, obviously, the psychopath has walked the earth since I would say since the beginning of human civilization. So, you know, when we look at the psychopath, again, in my past life, it wasn't that long ago, I was a forensic psychologist where I was doing uh, forensic assessments in criminal court and family court and civil justice courts. Uh, early on in my career, I was fascinated with uh, what we're going to talk a briefly about is the psychopath. Um, and again, as a forensic psychologist, Back then, I wrote a concept called dark psychology, which is available at the website. It's free. And dark psychology is what I call the dark side of human consciousness. The psychopath is such an interesting, um, <laughs> I don't want to say uh, a person. They are not mentally ill. Uh, they are defined as having a character logical disorder. And what that means is, again, they are not Axis one they're not ICD-10 diagnosable, they're not bipolar, they're not thought disordered, they have a character disorder. And the psychopath does not experience, which is incredibly fascinating, they don't experience shame, they don't experience guilt, and they don't experience remorse. 
which when you think about it, that is absolutely incredible. So it's probably been about 10, 15 years ago, I went up to Toronto and the father of understanding the psychopath is Dr. Robert Hare. And I went up there, never got certified, but I wanted to learn. Uh, I took three-day seminar on the psychopathic deviant scale, which Robert Hare is the father of modern psychopathy. So essentially what I did is I took all the, the traits, all the qualities, all the behaviors, and I converted it to what it would mean if you came across a psychopath online. Hence, I call the online psychopath, or also I call the iPredopath. And do you think that there's, there's a distinction there? Do you think there's like a distinction in the sense, like if the internet didn't exist, do you think they would still be just as psychopathic? Or do you think that with the internet, because they have this anonymousness, because they have access to uh, so many more tools to harass or Great intimidate question. people. Would they would they do this without the internet essentially as well? Oh, that's I'm sorry. That is a great question. I wish I could give you a definitive yes or no. We can assume, I mean, Dr. Harris says at any given time, anywhere from one to three percent of those walking on, on planet Earth are psychopathic. Obviously, there's no way to actually quantify uh, that. There's also in the last 10 to 15 years, there has been a movement that, not that I subscribe to this notion of the positive psychopath. We also know there is what is called the corporate or white collar psychopath. Many folks believe that some of our politicians are white collar psychopath. So when we're talking about psychology, technology, and the marriage of the two, as it relates to the online psychopath, do we first say that technology, social media, is that merely a tool or a medium for the psychopath? Or does technology actually help the psychopath and actually essentially propagates and makes more non-psychopath psychopathic? My belief is, is that all of us have the qualities of being psychopathic. Now, to be psychopathic is a behavior. So you, you and I, or relationships that we have, not all of us, but some of us can behave in a psychopathic manner. Uh, many criminals can behave in a psychopathic way. Uh, some pedophiles who molest children can behave in a psychopathic manner but it doesn't necessarily mean they're psychopaths, okay? Maybe someday we can do a separate show just on the criteria that make up a psychopath. But to answer your question, sorry for the long uh, uh, you know, explanation, but I believe that cyberspace increases uh, psychopaths' ability to objectify, to steal, to harm other online users. Why? Because what I call the veil of anonymity. I can hide behind the proverbial computer screen. I can hide behind the mobile device and you don't know it's really me. Yeah, I have so many questions right now, especially relating to the, the changeability like you mentioned, like you said how certain people, certain people can exhibit psychopathic traits. Um, I kind of really would like to know, is it possible for a psychopath to change? Like, can a leopard change its spots if it is a psychopath? 
Man, that's another great question. Boy, I should send you a word. Uh, <laughs> that is a great question. It, it, there are some that believe, the, the belief is presently, it is it, put forth that because it's a characterological disorder, whether we assume nature, nurture, genetics, uh, we it is believed that psychopathy, just like personality disorders, uh, begins somewhere, it begins somewhere in adolescence, formulates, and by early adulthood, it's pretty set. So, but because it is a characterological disorder, there is no cure. Okay, you can give the individual medications, all the mood stabilizers, psychotropics you want. You can put them through reams of treatment. You can incarcerate them. But a psychopath, it is set in stone who they are. No matter what you do, the only thing you can achieve, just like with personality disorders, is you can reduce the negative consequences of being a psychopath but you cannot all of a sudden create empathy in the psychopath because as I said, by late adolescence, early adulthood, for the rest of their lives, they look at you, they look at me, they look at all of us as objects. Yeah, that raises some difficult questions as well then I guess around rehabilitation and also um, like determinism in that sense. If the psychopath is mm -hmm. always gonna be a psychopath, then that, that's a hard one to deal with. Right. Well, you bring up, when you, if I may, when you bring yeah, up yeah, yeah, go for it. that is, a, I mean, we don't have to talk about philosophy, but as you know, we have hard determinism and soft determinism. Uh, my doctor degree uh, was from Adler, uh, Adler University, based on Av Alfred Adler, and he was what was what would be called as a soft determinist, okay, where Sigmund Freud would be a hard determinist where Freud believed is by time you get through the, the childhood phases, you know, the Oedipal, all that other stuff, it's written in stone who you are. Mm. The soft determinist who Alfred Adler was said, yeah, basically early childhood experiences kind of, if I may say, set a, a pathway or a map, but as it doesn't dictate what you become, because what Adler believed is if you feel validated, if you feel part of a peer group, if you feel accepted in your community, well, all the genetics, all the early you know, uh, childhood experiences that you had, whether they be traumatic or abusive, you still can become productive. So essentially the soft determinist, which I am, believes that you can always change who you really are, but when we look at the psychopath, the psychopath can change, not cure, okay, the characterological disorder, but as I said, can reduce the negative consequences of being that psychopath. That's good to know. Yeah, I guess I would call myself something along the lines of a soft determinist then. Hopefully you're enjoying the show. And if you are, make sure you subscribe and never miss an episode. You can find us on all your usual podcast sites, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, and a whole lot more, including YouTube. And we want to hear what you think, so be sure to leave us a review. Just search Brains Bite Back wherever you get your podcasts. I do have another concept that I wanted to discuss, uh, an interesting concept that you mentioned before <laughs> our call, the troll triad. Now, what is this exactly? 
Well, the troll triad is a concept that I wrote in, uh, it is a subconcept of iPredator. If I may, before we continue to troll triad, for your, your listeners to know whether they or somebody who may be targeting them is an iPredator, remember mm-hmm. there's eight different types. First and foremost, very basic, is the use of information and communication technology to target, defame, um, steal from another person. So it's the use of technology. Two, which is not to get into the legal eagle stuff, a little bit harder, is a self-awareness of causing harm to someone else using information technology. Again, when we're talking about mitigating factors with that particular criteria, well, if I am, for quick example, if I am, my religious dogma is I am staunchly against, let's say, abortion, and I target somebody online and I slander them um, using technology, I'm engaging in iPredator uh, uh, tactics, but because uh, my belief is I'm against abortion, uh, my self-awareness or my understanding may be a little bit uh, skewed, a little bit biased. And then when we have children that get online and target one another, like with uh, cyberbullying, two, the self-awareness can be a little cloud- cloudy. So first criteria is the use of information technology. Two is the self-awareness of using information technology to hurt others. And then three is what I call cyber stealth. And what cyber stealth is, is prior to attacking somebody, it's using online deception and ways of being able to target somebody so that you could not be immediately identified and targeted as the person who is the cyber stalker, who is the cyber bully. So cyber stealth basically means is developing a methodology on how I'm going to attack you. So if an online user or online users, again, there are groups of those, are, are meet those three, uh, those three criteria, they are iPredators, okay? So now quickly getting to troll triad, not going into my own personal, but during 2014, 2015, I was trolled for over a year by three individuals. And what troll triad is, is it introduces the idea of, and it's based on Carl Jung a little bit, is that there are archetypes and that when it comes to internet trolls and when they travel in groups, there are three archetypes. There is the cerebral, okay? And that is the one who is the brains of the disinformation and the slander campaign. There is the provocateur, the one who goes into social media and tries to provoke others. Come on, come on, Sam, join me. That guy is, a okay, that is the provocateur. And then three is the crier. The crier in my situation, guess what? Had his own internet radio program and went on to on his radio show to slander me. And not only to slander me on the radio, but also to try to encourage his listeners to target me as well. So the troll triad is a concept that introduces groups of of internet trolls, whether they be three or three million, they have task functions 
and how they're going to target another person, another group. And now as we're learning over the past five to 10 years, other nations. Yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy when it gets to that level. Like what, what happened with this person, if you don't mind me asking, like why did they have it in for you so much? I Well, to go into the specifics, we don't have that much time. I still don't know. I Anybody can go and read Troll Triad. I haven't spoke to them, but I have to thank them because, again, it, because of them, I was able to create the concept of Troll Triad. And if anything, even as of right now, we're talking about something that occurred over five years ago. Mm-hmm it validates iPredator, okay? Mm -hmm. I can sit here and give you reasons to why they spent, they literally spent an entire year. And if I may real quickly, not to Mm -hmm. get into the personal, the Cerebral, okay? Now I won't give you his name. You can read it on the website. He wrote a formal letter to the New York State Education Department Office of Professional Discipline are urging them to revoke my license to practice as a doctor of psychology, insinuating, I get this, that I was engaging an attempted homicide by internet because the, the, uh, the crier, the internet radio host, who in the midst of this year of trolling me had a heart attack. Wow. <laughs> God bless him, he survived. But apparently the cerebral made the allegation that I was in, I had attempted suicide. I I mean, homicide, I still, I don't want to laugh because it wasn't silly. It wasn't funny then. Um, But this is, he wrote a formal, well-written and New York State Office of Professional Discipline had to do an investigation. Now, obviously they laughed while they were doing it but had to do it because the cerebral wrote it according to specs on when you do a complaint. Mm-hmm. But well, imagine if I had lost my license, I would have lost my career. I admire the approach you've taken though. You've, you've definitely taken this and turned it into a positive. So I, yeah, I respect that a great deal. And um, <laughs> I suppose in the sense of taking things into your own hands, there's something else that you mentioned before our call. That was a cyber attack risk risk assessment. Uh, Can you elaborate on what this is? Sure, yes. The cyber attack risk assessments, I wrote a couple of years. At the website, there are 26 uh, combined uh, cyber attack checklists and cyber attack inventories. They're all in PDF form. They're all free. So anyone can go online to my website, print out and download the PDF And what the 26 assessments cover uh, is cyberbullying, cyberstalking, cybercrime. There is a parenting uh, cyber assessment. So essentially 26 types of checklists and inventories to help an online user decide whether they and or their child or their business is engaging in high risk online activities or if they are susceptible to being targeted. And those are the 26. Yeah, I think that's, that's worth taking. I still want to check that out. You know, I love podcasting, but one thing that definitely has um, given, inspired some fear into me is the idea of how much information we put out there and how vulnerable we make ourselves. I had a conversation with someone that's a 
a specialist when it comes to phishing attacks. And um, that's kind of like another obviously malicious sort of activity online. I, I suppose there's, there's usually a financial gain from it. So it's not just psychopaths doing it for fun. But the more information you have out there, like me doing this podcast and I reveal certain things about my life and the people in my life, it's, it's always worrying that it could be used against you at any time. So I think it's definitely important to stay smart. And that sounds like a, a good way of uh, assessing risk really. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously what I, I mean, I've had people say to again, and, and I commend you uh, on presenting uh, because I do believe we, as you know, we were at the beginning of a period of history called the information age. Mm-hmm. And we are just dabbling in what could last or what will not could, what will last several centuries the next step that we see in the information age will be, you know, virtual reality mm-hmm. and artificial intelligence. It'll be interesting to see what a century from now, uh, you know, what AI and what uh, virtual reality does. But going forward, the one online safety tip I can give, um, you know, your, your listeners is personal information. And you kind of touched it. Mm. The more personal information you you put online, the higher probability you are being targeted, whether it be by iPredators mm-hmm. or by Dany, data mining folks. So the, the, the less personal information you post, you share, and you exchange, the safer you are. Now, you can't completely have a zero probability of being targeted because in rare circumstances, mm-hmm. it, it happens even when you're practicing online safety. But, you know, after working on the weekends for the last decade, I have volunteered helping the cyber attack. Obviously, I'm not a hacker. Now, I know hackers. I'm not a tech guru. My expertise is understanding the psychology of the online user who's an aggressor and assailant. And I can tell you uh, the amount of personal information where the people that I've helped, where they have (laughs) disclosed it online, I almost want to go through the computer and shake them and say, how (laughs) the hell could you have said or done or posted that? Mm. And again, I understand we're at the beginning of the information age. And I've said, you know, so for us, this is all an exploration. We're at the beginning of a period of history. My friend, someday, a century down the road, a hundred years down the road, they're going to look back at us and they're going to laugh and they're going to say, how primitive and how archaic were they? But we are essentially the pioneers. Mm -hmm. At present, at least here in the United States, there is no such thing as criminal defamation. We have the First Amendment freedom of speech where I can say and post essentially whatever I want about you. I can be slanderous. And if you can't prove in a court of law that you've suffered significant, serious negative consequences, there's nothing you can do. Mm. You know, that is the nature. That is the reality of what's happening right now. I'm curious. No, you mentioned that, like, obviously, we're at the beginning of this information age so we're still going through a learning process but how capable and effective do you think the current legal system is at tracking and stopping these uh, malicious internet users again uh, i i am i'm pro i am pro united states i'm a patriot i'm pro law enforcement 
Uh, I was a, uh, a forensic psychologist, so I have a lot of respect for the court system. But at present, even as of today, they all fall on deaf ears. Law enforcement, uh, I mean, obviously are doing their best. Um, in essence, and, and it's, it, it amazes me because we have been in the information age for over 40 plus years. And to date, as of present, you know, again, I can target you. And if you don't have evidentiary proof of suffering from my cyber attacks, there's nothing you can do in a court of law. Mm. And that is an unfortunate thing. Now, I understand, and this is where I have to defend law enforcement, but I would say of the goodness, over the last 11 years, I must have helped several hundred folks over the last 10 years. Not 90%, not 100%, but I would say three quarters of them went to court systems and or law enforcement, and it fell on deaf ears. Mm -hmm. Why? Because it, it's so difficult to prove that your online attacker is hurting you. Mm -hmm. Well, they say prevention is better than cure. And I know you've given us a, a few um, pointers on how our listeners can defend themselves. But I would love to close the show with, um, I suppose, your last and final thoughts and pieces of advice on how our listeners can protect themselves out there online from these malevolent individuals. Okay, thank you. Well, the last thing which maybe we could talk about is for your listeners to think about, which is, I believe, <laughs> is the true marriage of technology and psychology, uh, as I call it again, I, I hope I don't sound crazy, I don't think I am, uh, very quick, is that I believe that cyberspace, if not already is, is becoming an extension of human consciousness. Again, I'll say it again. Cyberspace is an extension of human consciousness. And I base this on my experience in my volunteer work in my research. For some reason, those of us in the information age are slowly beginning to be so impacted by what we see, what we hear and what we read online. The gullible all the way going up to the most uh, intelligent can easily be skewed, can be impacted by what's going on in the line. Children, for the first time in civilization, we have a concept called cyber bully side. These are children that are taking their lives, committing suicide because of how they're being attacked online. So what I want your, your, your listeners to think about, when I say cyberspace is an extension of human consciousness, what I'm trying to say is that it's all a facade. It's all fantasy. Cyberspace is not real. Mm -hmm. The definition of cyberspace is an abstract digital environment, abstract and artificial. It's not real. But we as humans, with each year that passes, we seem to intuit, we seem to experience it as a real environment, but it's not. So that's what I wanted your, your listeners to think about. Cyberspace is an extension of human consciousness. Well, I think that's a fantastic point to end on. And as always, I like to give my guests the opportunity to send listeners to the website, their social media, or wherever they can find them. You've mentioned a few resources on the show already. Is there anything that you would like our listeners to 
to go check out or to yes. follow oh, you anywhere? Thank you for? very much. Easiest is ipredator.org. That's ipredator.org. And again, everything after my website is free, public domain. Anything that you download, the test, you, you don't have to give any personal information, no email address to download. Okay. All I ask is people who access my website, download my work. Uh, I'm not looking for attribution. I'm just asking people to practice what's called digital citizenship. I think that's fantastic and that's very fair. Well, thank you for joining me today, Michael. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Oh, thank you. Tell Me Your Startup Will Disrupt Industries. I'll add you to a list of thousands of other entrepreneurs who have said the same thing and failed. Sure, you believe in your company and its product, but it's one thing saying this yourself and another to have an industry influencer say it about you. And that is the power of digital PR. If you're ready to gear your business towards growth and gain, our sponsor Publicize is a digital communication agency that has helped businesses like yours gain exposure in major online publications for the past decade. And for a limited time only, exclusive to Brains Bite Back listeners, you can receive an SEO assessment as part of your package for any tier of service at no extra charge with this special promotion. To find out more, visit publicize.co. This is the end of today's show. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this and you want to hear more episodes just like it, then follow and subscribe to Brains Bite Back wherever you get your podcasts. We're also available on YouTube under the channel of our publication, The Sociable. Just search Brains Bite Back and you'll find all of our episodes there. We really love hearing what you have to say. So leave us a review on iTunes or on any other podcasting platform to let us know what you think. You can also reach out on Twitter at, at The Sociable. And finally, go to sociable.co where you can find all our episodes and plenty of articles on topics just like this. Thanks again for joining us and until next time, stay safe and stay healthy.